Welcome back, everybody, and happy holidays to you from American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week. It is December the 11th, 2014. And what's going on in the news? Well, you know, the uh, Philippine Tin Ball Open uh, Manny Pacquiao's event is uh, just finishing their uh, singles brackets today. And it's not looking too good for the Europeans or the Americans, to be honest with you. Um, Shane is out. Shane Van Boning, not in it. Uh, Torsten is out. Mika Eminen is out. The only American left in it is Rodney Morris, believe it or not. Uh, I believe they're going to continue that on Friday. So that'll be interesting. Check into that and see what's going on. Um, have you heard about uh, American Road Player? Hmm. Interesting, interesting things happening in the world of video. There's going to be a, uh, I don't know how to describe it other than a, a series about hustling. We hope to get uh, some of the uh, staff there, get in contact with them sometime in the next couple of weeks, and maybe we can get them on the show for you and uh, learn a little bit more about it. Should be pretty interesting, I guess. Um, and of course, you know, we just wrapped up the Moscone Cup. Uh, this past week, and as you probably already know, it was not a really good showing for the Americans. So today we're going to be talking with um, Coach Wilson, Mark Wilson of uh, Team USA, and I'll be talking with um, Mr. John Schmidt, uh, one of the team members of Team USA, and we're going to get some of their uh, feedback uh, about what they think went wrong and you know, what things might be changing or staying the same in the future. So stick around and we'll be right back after your one-minute pool instructor. I'm Scott Lee. I'm Randy G. And welcome to the one-minute pool instructor. This week we're going to discuss advanced instruction the next step, or what we call sparring. So Randy, uh, every, after people have attended pool school or they've taken private instruction and they've done their deliberate practice and they've gotten their process identified, measured, and trained to the point where uh, they can put it into their competitive game and make it work for them without having to think about it, what's the, the next step in actually learning how to play better? I guess one of the things we'd call it is playing lessons, wouldn't we? Right. In, in- uh, the, probably the first thing we wouldn't do is go find a very competitive uh, money game, high tournament, or, or uh, something like that. We would like a sparring situation where there's very little ramifications because we are certainly learning yet. Right. All right. Um, I think we can go to boxing here. In, 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 in boxing uh, um, uh, training, they, a, a, the professional boxer who's preparing for a match might have two or three different sparring partners. Uh, each of those sparring partners bringing into the practice ring a different style, speed, stamina, so that the professional boxer can get used to his, what his opponent is uh, doing. All right. So I have two sparring partners. I spar with them weekly. Um, we do not gamble. We might have a lunch on the line. We might have a nice tea on the line at the most. But at the end of each sparring match, we both get 10 minutes to discuss 
what the other person did without recourse. There you go. In other words, if my partner Claude says, Randy, this is what I've seen you do today. You've never done that before. Were you doing it on purpose or what? Because it wasn't working. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. And, you know, that follows over uh, into the, the uh, pool side because we can uh, spar from the perspective of learning strategy. Uh, position play and patterns. Oh. We can so we now can you got like four or five different sure now, we can, yeah we can spar on how to play safe. Um, we can spar with uh, improving the accuracy and the speed of our break and the technique. Now, there's lots of ways that and we can then spar. different games sure make us kick, bank, jump, or ball pocket. Like right. straight pool. What a great game, huh? They, they have different yeah. priorities. Ball pool pocketing added power, you know? Um, so whatever we want to spar at, you find a different partner, whether it's a human being or a game or whatever, and you go out and do it. And that's why I use these two different people to test my game. But really what I'm trying to do is implement what I learned new into my game so that when I go to a tournament, it's there without me thinking about it. Yeah, and you know, I talk a lot, uh, a lot about this with my uh, private students where I tell them that hopefully they're going to experience a deja vu effect. Once they've learned their process, they've practiced it, they're now in that uh, situation where they're uh, rewarding themselves with free play after they've done their their deliberate practice, and sometime during that free play, they'll have a, uh, a mental and uh, physical thought. Deja vu? Yeah, deja vu. I just did my thing my way exactly the same start to finish, and I never thought consciously about any part of it. And it's at that point, then, that we want to take that and insert it into our competitive game. Right, right. But I think you have to be there once in a while to get it into your you competitive game. You and do. that's what sparring does. You can stop and say, hey, Scott, did you see what I did there? I missed that shot. Do you know why? And, of course, I trust something you say. Without compromise, you're going to tell me the truth. I'm going to tell you there was no pocket there. <laughs> no, there haven't been a pocket <laughs> in that position for years, Randy. So, yeah, sparring is... Uh, I think one of the most genuine ways to prepare for a tournament, and yet you got to watch who you spar with. Right. You don't have to go spar with Earl Strickland. Well, I'd be all right if I was sure. watching or scorekeeping yeah. because he would do all the shooting. <laughs> right. Well, that's, a, that's certainly a, a, a great topic, and uh, it, it's definitely something to bring you to the next Well, level. I spar twice a week. There you go. And, and I have different uh, uh, rules for sparring. But uh, I'm not playing pool. I'm trying to get into the mode of playing pool. Still training. Yep. All the time. Life training. All my life. Well, you know what we say when you quit learning, you quit learning. Oh, God. You're over with. This is Randy G. And I'm Scott Lee. And this has been the One Minute Pool Instructor. I'm on the line here with uh, John Schmidt, the uh, team member from this year's Moscone Cup team. 
um, Mr. 400 himself. <laughs> How are you doing, John? I'm doing good, uh, Dave. Nice to, nice to hear from you. So, um, you know, you guys had a little bit of a rough go there. I mean, you were shooting really well at first. Before we get into all that, just what do you? What's your uh, general feelings as far as the performance of the team uh, this year at the Cup? Um. Well, you know, first I'd like to preface all all the things I'm going to say with uh, it was a huge honor and a privilege to play for the uh, American team, and I had a blast. Um, I thought my teammates did quite well uh, under the circumstances. Very, very trying conditions. Yeah. In um, an arena. And a, and a crowd that that none of us are ever going to be used to. So I I actually felt pretty proud of the guys to keep their chin up and play the way they did. It would have been been very easy to throw in the towel and get beat eleven to two or eleven to zero. Um, I do feel we could have done better, but we could have done worse. And uh, overall, I thought it was a great experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I I, I mentioned it. On we talked about the the cup a little bit last week on the show too. And, um, I, I guess I wasn't surprised that some mistakes were made. Uh, that was sort of expected, sure. you know, uh, for both sides. Um, I think what yeah. surprised me was, uh, what seemed like simple mistakes is what I think baffled everybody. You know what I mean? It, it, like sure. the, the little things that did happen seemed like such like, Oh my God, how did you miss that kind of shots? You know, instead of, sure. That was a tough sure. call, you know. Um, you obviously shot well uh, at your first rounds at the table, and we'll shoot everybody was in the beginning. And then it just seemed to go downhill. Was there something that happened behind the scenes or somebody, you know, um, lose no, a leg or no, something? Just, <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. I, I think that, um, well, I mean, I... <laughs> I could go on and on for all the reasons. I'm not going to make excuses. I, I don't. I, I'm pretty sure uh, myself and everybody else on my team, and even Team Europe, would say nobody played their best pool. Um, it's the environment, plain and simple. It's it's so much pressure. Yeah. Uh, an extremely hostile crowd, and uh, you know, hurling insults and and verbally just bashing you every time you do anything wrong. Mm. And and it's very easy to kind of lose your confidence out there. And just get tentative, um, you know. And then the table is so fast and slick that it does. It's not really conducive to letting your stroke out. So you're already using kind of a tentative stroke to play position, and then you add the pressure, and it's and it's real easy to just get to where you can hardly crawl the cue back. At least that's the way I felt. Yeah. That being said, I I thought for the situation, uh, Team USA played pretty well, but you know. You, you would just have to be out there trying to play pool in that environment to really comprehend what it feels like. Um, yeah. it's, it's just more pressure than any of us are used to being under. And, I mean, when you see, you know, when you see Shane Van Boney go one for six, you know it has to be the environment because, in my <laughs> opinion, he's the greatest player on the planet. Yeah. And he wasn't comfortable out there. None of us were, and, and rightfully so. I, I just don't think... Any five players assembled on the planet could go there and play well against Team Europe uh, in that environment. Uh, they just got too much crowd support, and they're too great of players, and they've got a lot of experience in that format and that that environment. Um, I really don't see any American team beating them in Europe. Yeah, that's a, 
it's a hard, hard thing. I mean, for me personally, I do not play well under pressure at all. I can't even bet for a beer and play well. So I'll, I'll be the first one to, to admit that the pressure does get to you. And even on some subconscious levels, you know, it's not, right. you can talk yourself through it. You can relax and everything else. But when your nerves are, are pent up, they're just pent up and there's not a lot you can do about sure. it. You know? Yeah. Your muscles react different when your body gets tight and you're, I mean, uh, it, it, you're just, your body actually changes a little bit. And, uh, what it is is the top pro players are just so good at pool that even when they're scared to death and nervous, they still play good. Right. But believe me, all of us were playing well below what we're capable of when we're on our practice table with no pressure. Right. Um, so, you know, it's just, but it's something you kind of factor in before the match. That being said, I, I still think that, you know, team Europe played great and, and, and I thought Team USA, you know, really showed a lot of resolve to hang in there and not get dejected, not not um, act badly towards the crowd. I thought our guys really act professional and had a yeah. lot of, uh, you know, they showed a lot of good sportsmanship during the match. Because it would have been, I mean, I had people singing in the crowd, John Schmidt, you play like shit, you're a <laughs> choker, a witcher. Uh, now, imagine I miss a ball and I got people yelling, you're a twitcher, you're bum, you're second rate, you've got no chance, go home. And, and yeah, that's the kind of stuff I listened to for four days. So if anybody wonders why we didn't look comfortable out there, <laughs> you know, it, it, it wasn't comfortable. But, but all that being said, I think the European fans are great because I honestly never thought there could be that much interest for pool. And I was proved wrong. And... And if I have to go into every tournament and be belittled and yelled at, and that's what it takes to get ratings and viewers and sponsorship, then I'd be more than willing to do it. Right. Because uh, this is the greatest pool event I've ever been involved with, mm-hmm. and, I, and I lost. So I'm not talking <laughs> sour grapes. I have nothing but glowing accolades to give to Matchroom and Team Europe and my team and the coaches and everybody involved. It was fantastic. Well, it certainly was a fantastically produced event. Yeah, they just don't. They really don't leave much uh, to be desired. You know, it's just it's just right. really good. It's well produced, and they uh, they even get into the build up a little bit with the with the stories ahead sure. of time and try to wag the dog a little bit. But um, you know, so I guess here's my next question: um, Was it, how do you feel? I know this is hard to it's hard to talk about your your team mates or yeah. your coach or anything in a bad light. I know that that's bad form. I'm not trying to get right. anybody to throw anybody under the bus and I'm not certainly not trying to get anybody to blame anybody or whatever. But here's my question is who or what could have been done different in your own opinion? Is there something that could have happened somewhere in the middle of that that would have made a difference? No. No, and like I, I talked to Mark Wilson about this, I, and he, he was he was he was even asking me, you know, is there anything you think I should have done differently? I said, absolutely not. I thought you did a great job. I said, until Team America has twelve hundred screaming fans worshiping the ground they walk on, and hurling insults at Team Europe, we are never going to win the cup. I said, we can work on our lags, we can work on our break, we can work on our team's chemistry, we can practice, we can do all of that. But believe me. Those fans 
that is such an advantage mm-hmm. to play with those fans behind you that until that's changed, until we have that kind of crowd support in America, Team USA is going to get trounced every year in this Moscone Cup. Yeah. Okay, so so there is no other five American players that would have done any better. Uh, if anything, some of them would have thrown a hissy fit, shown their ass out there, and probably got beat up. Okay, yeah. luckily we had five guys that handled the verbal abuse and the crowd quite well. Otherwise, it could have got ugly. But, mm-hmm. no, I, I don't think there's anything the players could have done differently. Uh, it, it, I feel like the way the Moscone Cup should go is like this. When we go to Europe, they're going to be massive favorites with their crowd. And then when they come to America, if we have the same kind of crowd, we'd be massive favorites. But instead, we don't. Right. We get 200 people to show up, never make a peep, and we get beat. Yeah. Now, until the crowd situation changes, uh, I just predict Team Europe's just going to rob us every year at this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not making an excuse, but believe me, you know, we've had American players play those Europeans for money for three days and drill them. So then why is it that in this team format we get tortured? What's the one difference? There's 1,200 screaming fans. Right. And none of them are screaming for us. They're screaming at us, <laughs> not for us. Yeah. So, I, I think Team Europe would be the first to to agree with me on that. I think uh, Team America would be too. And I have nothing bad to say about my teammates or coach. I thought they all did a great job, played their hearts out. And many, many other players would have really imploded in that environment. And you think we played bad. Believe me, there's some players out there that would have just assaulted the rails. <laughs> yeah. Like, they would have just missed so many balls in that environment, it would have been painful to watch. Right, right. Our guys actually hung in there pretty solid under that kind of pressure, I believe. Well, yeah, as far as their, uh, their um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh, countenance, they're, you know, yeah. they kept it together um, psychologically. You, uh, you know, you can tell that, that you guys were obviously not, having a good time at it but at the same time it wasn't you know like you said throwing sticks and cussing at people or whatever else the case may be you know and that's good that that's at least one hurdle you know overcome because like you said if if you let that get to you um that is not going to do anything to help your game now i mean granted you know, it might make you feel a little better if you get to cuss back at somebody or, you know, whatever the case right. may be. But if you let it eat at you like that, there's certainly not any good going to come out of it. So that's right. the, the first um, step is just letting it roll off your back, you know. But it, the funny thing is, it, it, at one point, it, it was aggravating and it was painful to be belittled and yelled at and insulted. But on the inside, I was thinking to myself, this is the greatest thing ever. For once, I'm part of something that somebody cares about. <laughs> right. Because you know, most of the time we go to pool tournaments, there's eight spectators, and you just feel like my life is a waste. I play a sport that nobody cares about. And this event made me realize there is actually a fan base, and uh, yeah. it was great to be part of it. And I wouldn't change it any other way. I, I you know, I, I would welcome the opportunity to go back and get um, – fruit thrown at me again so it'd be great <laughs> um, they didn't actually throw fruit if they would have had fruit they would have thrown it but they didn't throw fruit. yeah they probably would have and and of course you don't throw beer because that's too valuable you want to drink that instead no, so. <laughs> no the crowd was actually i mean there might have been 1200 people and i would say 1160 of them were great there were 30 or 40 that maybe 
got a little carried away with some of the things they said, but that's yeah. all part of it, and that's all part of sport. Sure. And I want to be part of any sport that has fans. So yeah. I think it was great. I wouldn't change a thing. I thought my team performed beautifully, and anybody that doesn't think they played well, you know, is more than welcome to come out there and try to play mm. play better. I just don't know what else to say. Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head right there because – I don't. There's not a lot of kind of practice that you can do right. to to prepare yourself for that. And I'm not saying that no. that some of these guys that have been to the cup before should know better or whatever. I mean, that, that's still it's a once a year thing. It's not like they're at the cup every right. week, every month or something. So the, even the experience right. of having been there before is not a guarantee that you won't crack up under the presser. Um, and certainly. Oh. As it has been seen, well, even some of the I mean, best players had, in earth, you know, have a, having a bad time at that. Well, we've we've had teams get trounced in America. I mean, I can't. I mean, this, I just can't put into words what it was like in that arena. Um, you know, when an American player would make an incredibly good run out, there would be a few feeble claps, and when Europe would make a stop shot. They just would tear the roof off. Yeah, they go eight. And when an American <laughs> player would miss a ball, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been basically heckled and booed by twelve hundred people simultaneously, <laughs> but it can break you down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I you know I still feel like though things kind of things didn't really go our way in a lot of the games. There were a lot of crucial sets that would be the score would be three two us or three three, and then like you know maybe Europe would miss a ball and hook us and. On a given day, I think maybe by no means were we going to win that match, the the cup. But I feel like we could have lost eleven seven or eleven eight pretty easy. Yeah, just a couple things go different. Absolutely, make no mistake. Team Europe is a fantastic team. They all played great, and I don't see any scenario where we would have beat them in that race to eleven. So I'm not making excuses like if the crowd wasn't there, we should have won and all that. I'm just saying that God help any American team that has to go to England and play in front of a thousand, two thousand Rockets fans, uh, good luck to them. Yeah. That's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah. It can't be easy. That's, that's, that's a fact, no. man. So no, it can't. do you think, um, do you think now, again, I'm not trying to get you to throw anybody under the bus, but do you right. think personally, do you think that having the team selected, by a coach um, is better. I'm going to hit you with a couple of questions here. One is, do you think having the team selected by a coach rather than some sort of a ranking system, is that better or worse? Well, you know, I don't think it's better or worse because, frankly, the Moscone Cup, unless I'm mistaken, has kind of been – people have just been picked. I mean, there's been guys – the same three guys have been on the team for so many years. There was kind of a popularity contest that I – you know, I mean, I don't feel like it's always been a pick by points anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's a TV production, and Matt's room, rightfully so, has kind of hand-picked who they wanted to pick. Sure. And, you know, so I, I don't think that's really a big change. Uh, it's never really been on points. I mean, maybe a few of the players are on points, and then there's Earl or John. So, you know, somebody's always going to be butthurt they didn't get picked. But I don't think that that was a negative, and uh, I definitely couldn't fault match room or mark wilson for anything right yeah well no i agree given the state of the the tournament scene there was there's really not reliable right. events to go by so at this point 
it seems like it's the best route to go with selecting the team. Did do you feel like that um, there could have been more a more involved selection process as far as once the the eight were picked and then he had to narrow it down? Could there have been something different about that narrowing it down process that would have made it better? Like uh, some kind of a test or a you know no, like I mean, some people. Some people have suggested that that the eight should all round robin to decide who gets on the team, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, we could have done that. And, and you know, I mean, of the eight picked, I mean, we could all just match resumes and picked. I mean, that would have been a no-brainer. So, you know, uh, the guys that didn't get picked, obviously, you know, they've had 20 years to maybe win more tournaments. Maybe that would have got them picked. I don't know. I, I So I don't, I don't really uh, – have an issue obviously i was picked so i don't have an issue with, with it but i do feel like a lot of people kind of cry and foul after somebody was picked or wasn't picked right a lot of people crucified me getting picked and i'm thinking to myself you know there's there's nobody that's uh, a no-brainer to be picked or not picked right um so now I, I wouldn't i wouldn't question any of that and i think uh i think mark did pick certain players that he felt we're going to get along with an extremely hostile crowd a little better. There's certain players yeah. that, that might have tried to stand up to the crowd a little bit more, and things might have got ugly. So, yeah. you know, maybe uh, maybe Mark looked for more than just um, what you run out like because everybody runs out good of anybody right. picked. Right. Anybody names a great player. So Right. You know. Well, I've tried to, to, to have this discussion with a couple of different people about it, and they were basically saying that, you know, oh, well, Wilson should have come up with the criteria uh, that everybody knew and blah, 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 that it should have been more clear cut how the, the selection process was going to go down. And, yeah. I, and, I, and yeah, I mean, in theory, I don't yeah. disagree with that. But here's my point, though, it is if, you know, imagine you're a boss and you're looking to hire somebody and you've got five candidates and they're resumes are identical what right. you what you've got to do is well it's not even what you have to do what you're going to do is you're going to narrow it down you you know that you have to pick somebody so right. you're going to narrow it down based on some what could be considered insignificant things in the big yeah. scheme you know like well this guy's a little more friendly or this guy's a little more outgoing or this guy seems like he's a yeah. better attitude when you know good and well that any one of those five people could do the job just as good as the next, you're forced, though, in that when you've only got so many spots to fill, you're forced to take trivial things into consideration where, you know, well, like, of course. I'm not going to pick, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to pick John Schmidt based on just his attitude, but if I've got five resumes and they all seem like they're crabby asses except for John, then that might be the thing that yeah. makes the difference, you know? So, it, well, there's yeah, some things I, I that they're a lot easier right. to describe on paper than they are in reality. You know, you can you could say, well, here's a requirement for the team. You've got to have a, a winning attitude. Well, who's to say, you know, how winning my attitude is? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. there's just certain things you can get a feel for. There's certain, so I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with the arguments being made. I'm just saying that it's not as easy as write a list of things down. If you meet this, right. you're on the team. It's not that simple. Right. I, you know, um, 
Well, you know, the thing I think that's overlooked with the Moscone Cup is, I mean, it's for all intents and purposes a TV show. So, right. you know, maybe maybe some players are picked or not picked, and they're not going to want to hear the reasons why, and I'm not going to expound on them, but I got a pretty good idea of why some of the, the players were or weren't picked. And if I was the coach, I know the kind of players that I would or would not pick, and it isn't all just about how you play. There's other factors involved. It's just like when an actor tries to go get a movie role. He reads the script. Sometimes you get picked. Sometimes you get turned down. The director doesn't tell you it's because of this or this or this. Right. So now there might be something else come up in pool where a guy like me, John Schmidt, I'm a horrible fit for it, and they might not pick me. I've gotten the short end of the stick a million times in pool, but for once somebody threw me a bone and let me play. And, you know, frankly, the three guys that weren't picked on the team, from uh, well, two of them, were pretty quick to criticize my pick, which honestly, uh, I was very insulted by. Um, yeah. So you know, it, it, it's a shame that it has to come to that. But hey, it's um, you know, life is rough sometimes. Yeah, that's yeah. It's it doesn't always go the way you want it to. So. Oh, believe me, I'd like to have a dollar for every time I've been disappointed in <laughs> pool. I could put on a pro tour myself. I'd be so rich. So I gotcha. You know. It's one of those things. I think Mark Wilson did a great job, and I think uh, the team picked was great guys. You know, you kind of see your true colors when you're losing, and all these guys were real easy to get along with and very nice to each other, even when we were losing. It's real easy to smile and high-five when you're winning. So, yeah, you yeah. know, I was pretty proud of how the team reacted and the coaches and uh, mm-hmm. the whole thing. All right, man. Well, good on you, mate. Uh, I got to yeah, get out yeah, of here. Really. Thanks. I appreciate your time um, for talking with us. Um, I I think that this coming year is going to be really interesting again to see how this all yeah. hashes out and what changes and what stays the same. So, we'll, well just... I'll leave you with this. All we have to do, and I guarantee I've been around pool a long time and I have a pretty good sense of what will make a guy play good and play bad and win and lose and all that. If Team America in the USA is serious about winning the Moscone Cup, all we have to do is have about a 1,000 people show up to Vegas, the yeah. MGM Grand, get them liquored up, teach them how to scream, yell, <laughs> chant. And I'm telling you, then we got a ball game. Then we can win. Until we do that, right. we have no shot. I don't care really what anybody says. Because yes. I was there, and I can see how big of a factor that crowd is. Yeah. And... You know, this two or three hundred fans showing up and quietly applauding, that's not going to put any heat on Europe, and they're going to beat us every time. Yeah. So, you know, until we start getting the fans over there and serious about it, we're going to lose every year, and it's just that is what it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard the man. Make your plans now. Start making your plans yeah. right now to go to Vegas and watch this and scream your face off. Otherwise, we're not yeah. going to get away. I will be there leading the chance with you guys. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll get a bullhorn, you know? So Cool. All right, John. All right, Have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you again real soon. All right, you too, bud. Thanks, man. All right, take care. Hey, this is Thorsten, and you're listening to American Billiard Radio. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. 
This is the Legends and Champions Report. My name is Mark Kentrell. This is brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And, you know, we basically what we've been doing for, it seems, uh, it's almost a year now, is talking to the Moscone Cup team captains, members, etc., uh, etc., et um, leading up to the Moscone Cup. And it only seems that, that now we're, it's over, that we finish off and we have a chat with my guest today, Mr. Mark Wilson. How are you, sir? I'm real good, Mark. Good. Um, time flies, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it went by pretty fast. We're still kind of getting over the sting of a decisive loss, so that part's been rough. Well, you know, we uh the point is, it just seems like it was not that long ago. We interv- I interviewed you when you were first named captain, and we talked about everything, and then we talked about, but, boy, I, it's, it won't be long before it'll be next year. So, um, aside, put, just put aside the Moscone Cup for just a second, and uh, the results, and we'll get to that. I just wondered, how was, how was England? You've never been before? And, you no, I've been there a couple times before, but I've never been to this particular part of Lincoln. It's always been around London for me, and so Blackpool was very, very interesting. <laughs> uh, the uh, naturally the venue was outstanding, and uh, the you know the way that we were treated was unbelievably good. We were like rock stars there, and uh, that was great. And then we went and spent a day in Liverpool, and that was very interesting for those of us that are old enough to remember where the Beatles began. <laughs> And so we went around to some of their haunts, and uh, I didn't realize how small the Cavern Club actually is. And now you have some dimension uh, relative to, like, Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, uh, where, where their original homes were as child, as children. And uh, just a kind of a fascinating day there. Well, good. You know, you got to see something different as well on your travels. It's always good to be able to sightsee a little bit when you get... You know, once the work's being done, you know. Yep. Um, you, you mentioned the, the venue, so I'll just ask you real quick about the venue. We knew it was going to be uh, raucous and a little, uh, I don't know, loud. So what was it more than you expected it to be? Mm, it was, well, it was... <laughs> I think it was more than I could describe. I kind of anticipated it was going to be pretty uh, wild, but it was uh, it, oh, it was the greatest to, uh, place to play pool ever. Be- just because the fans made it such, you know, their enthusiasm and passion, and excitement. And when when you have people lined up around the block, um, waiting to get in, and wearing blue hair wigs and uh, uh, have uh, signs and, and uh, display that type of spirit, and then when you just step outside, you're besieged with people that want your autograph or picture or just get a word, shake your hand. It's pretty awesome to play in that environment, and uh, and then the venue itself was unbelievable. It's a uh, 1800s, I think about 1880s, built uh, specific for a circus, so it has a main arena with all built-in seating, and as you know, because you've been there, it's very, very ornate, but then it has the patina of, of old and the combination of the two, uh, you couldn't play pool in a better venue. I mean, to me, if we could play there every year, it would be worth it for the sake of the sport. Really? I think so. I think it's probably the best. You could build something brand new that would be newer and brighter, but you could never capture that, that degree of 
glamour and uh, um, just the, the 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 feeling, the vibe that it has because it's so ornate with the queen's box and all the different uh, little ornate details that are put into something. You couldn't pay for that now. It costs millions and millions of dollars to try to build something like that, and it wouldn't even have the flavor. Well, like, and you, you know, as far as the the, the noise and the, the crowd goes, some people uh, on the internet said the Europeans are just a bunch of loudmouth thugs and all that kind of thing, and not being very nice toward them. I guess I I grew up with with it, but uh, I I had a uh, did a show with uh, Dave Bond and Mike Houghton last week, and we were talking about things. And uh, Mike had commented that after everything was over, he said, man, those, those uh, handful of U.S. fans are cheering USA. They're really getting loud now. And then somebody pointed out, it's not the U.S. fans who are chanting USA. No, yeah, no, no. It, they were not thugs. It, it, these were people that were passionate about the sport. It was the most exciting, enthusiastic crowd. They just wanted to have fun. And because of that passion and enthusiasm over there, it's actually a sport. It's not a game. It's, it's it. They get into it and and love. I mean, they they're cheering before even the first ball is struck, and they cheer on every single ball, one way or the other. And while you did have some people that had been uh, somewhat inebriated, they, it still wasn't that bad. I mean, if you go to an NBA game or a Major League Baseball game or football, there's much worse behavior in the stands. These were just passionate people that were enthusiastic. Yeah. And they had great security there as well, you know. So it, it wasn't an issue. It was it was actually wonderful. He said they showed, he, my, um, Mike Houghton said that they, you know, even though they were loud and everything, they showed a lot of class at the end by chanting USA mm-hmm. to show oh, appreciation. During the match, they would come down on breaks and and get pictures and autographs right in the venue, you know. And, and we welcomed all that because they were just that. Uh, Passionate about it, I guess is the word I keep using, but they really were. It was an unbelievable experience. And what what it really is, for someone that has never participated in an event like that, it would be mortifying and terrifying. But if it's going to be a sport, we're going to need that type of energy and electricity in the room. And if we played like that every week, it wouldn't even be uh, worth a mention, you know. But because we don't, then, yes, did it take a little something away from the U.S. team? I think it probably did. But you know what? It also took something away from the European team. And it, it's borne out, uh, statistically speaking. They, okay. The European team didn't play their very best game either. And it's just, it's hard, you know. But uh, the entirety of the thing, it was uh, it was really the greatest match I was uh, ever associated with. Well, let me uh, go to, to, to the match itself. The... Um, Eleven five. It wasn't the result that you were hoping for, I'm sure. Um, in your eyes, what, what do you think went wrong that uh, made eleven five? Well, uh, currently I'm watching the matches again on YouTube, and uh, it was a decisive loss, no, no doubt about it. And so, you know, the responsibility lies with me. I take complete and total responsibility for the failure of Team USA. It wasn't. Wasn't anybody else's doing but mine. No problem. The uh, we lost fourteen out of sixteen lags, and they were breaking and running out at uh, almost forty percent. So right away you're you're pretty well behind just by losing the lag, which you know we would figure to go about fifty fifty on that, and uh, that hurt. And then 
and then we just didn't play well enough. We had enough opportunities, believe it or not. It was, as great a team as they are, they also flubbed a few good chances and uh, gave us, but we, we could never really capitalize. And it seemed like uh, every time that we made a mistake, not only did they clear up the rack, but they also followed it up with a break and run out quite often. So those little mistakes, they were added up to probably on average an unforced error probably cost you know somewhere north of 1.2 games per unforced error. And that's expected at that level, too, by the way. But I'm just saying it's when you're going to five, it goes by mighty quick when you make an error or two. Right. And then people mentioned that, and maybe uh, you can educate me a little bit on this, because the, the way I saw it, yeah, we, I know that we didn't, we, the USA team didn't win many legs. Um, but there was, and, and I would say, well, that makes a difference if, these matches were going hell hell, but they really right. weren't going hell. They weren't going hell hell. No, so did, no, did, uh, did the like make a difference? It, it would have shown up, you know. The, uh, that definitely would have shown up had it had gone hell hell, but uh, but we didn't. So, but anyway, they still had an ace to play, means that they were going to get the last break in all those leg uh, one games. Fourteen out of the sixteen, they were going to get the last break. So, so that would have been hurtful too. Is there anything you can pinpoint that you say, here was the turning point, here's where things went? Because mm. I, I think at one point there were, uh, I can't remember who it was, it might be John Schmidt, uh, first day or second day, and, and I think he was playing Mark Gray, and they were just breaking, running out, alternating break, and there was like six breaking runs. Yeah, at the start of the match, uh, Gray won the leg, broke and ran out. Uh, Schmidt broke and ran out. Gray broke and ran out. Schmidt broke and ran out. Gray broke and ran out. Schmidt broke and ran out. So it's three-three, and you know there's immense pressure on Mark Gray at that point because you played perfect, but you can't shake your man. And so now, and now it's up to you to start again. And in the course of that game, Mark Gray ended up with a long, tough combination on the nine. He missed. Schmidt cleaned it up and then broke and ran out to close out the match. So th- this would have to qualify as one of the greatest Moscone Cup performances that's ever had had happened in all these years. And uh, then that was uh, our first day. That was that was match three. And then we had Bergman and Shane coming up next in the doubles, and then Shane by himself uh, for match five to close out day one. And at that point, we're leading two to one. And so... Um, you know, it was it was a great inspiration to see John get up there and put on a performance like that. And uh, then, uh, unfortunately, uh, Justin and Shane did not play well in their match. And then Shane lost to Appleton. But it, truthfully, Shane played tremendous pool in that match. He lost five three, but uh, and Appleton played very well too. I'm not discrediting him in any fashion. But there was a couple of position plays where he bumped balls and Shane didn't. And both times, uh, despite bumping balls inadvertently. He came out with either enough of a shot or he made a good shot to follow it up and close it out. So it really wasn't an error. But if you were to say, if you were to just watch that one singular match, you would conclude that, that Shane was definitely on his game and playing well. He just he, he just got closed out. Is all. It wasn't any mistake on his part. And uh, maybe you'd even say that Shane played the better match that set. Well, okay. Well, and then. Was there a point where you just saw it where it turned? And what was the reason it could have turned? Because at some point it did turn uh, when you were at five points. 
Did yeah, he, the, the tide turned. What point was it? Was it at five? Day or? three. Yeah, day three. We were we were we were in it. I mean, we were very competitive uh, through the first two days, and it's, um, but day three things really come apart. Uh, we I think we won our first match that day, and then lost three in a row, and uh, that that made it what nine five. And Sky Sports asked that we conclude play for that day, so that they definitely had a show for day four because they just wanted it, if we play that one and lose that one, then it's possible to come back for maybe only one match on uh, day four, and that's 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 a problem for them. And I understand, and it, it was sort of okay. It kind of gave us a chance to regroup anyway. But the uh, and it wasn't just the score; we just did not perform well. Day three, I think we shoot like an 823 AccuStats, and and they did not shoot that much better. They shot an 853 that day composite for the team. So, you know, 850 is kind of the line of uh, professional level, but but just mediocre professional level. 900 would be world class, and north of 900 is you know extremely world class. And uh, at the end of day three, we were playing an 823, so. That's just not good enough to get the job done. I don't. I don't well, I, I don't think Europe played very well either. I don't think they would, uh, other than a couple of players. I think there were some mistakes on their end as well. Well, um, day one they played a nine nineteen and and uh, cumulative. Let's see, what was it? Yeah, day four they played a nine twenty one uh, total performance average. So they had a couple of days in there pretty darn sound, and then uh, their eight fifty three was their worst, which was just. Pro average, I would say they had an 876 also. So, yeah, better. Now the the final day, um, of course, it was the Shane and uh, can't remember who was the first matchup. Shane, Shane and Appleton to start off. And then, Shane and Appleton. Now the, the question I'm getting to is, we know that one was held over. Did you already have the final day set laid out before, or was did you have a reasoning for putting Shane up? Back to back. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Um, one, the, the the conclusion of day three is Shane and Appleton, so there's absolutely no choice there. It has to be that way because right. all five players have to play every three matches, and that's mandated, and it was already scheduled that way, no problem. Right. So then the question is, who are you going to lead off with the next day? And because we're trailing, I don't want to risk losing and have my best horse uh, in the stall, you know, so – and particularly because he's going to be playing on the first match, he comes off that match and stays right out there and plays yet another match. He's warmed up. He's kind of dialed in. We we felt like it gave us the best chance to win the first two matches. And then uh, I just didn't want to fly home and say, ah, maybe I should have played Shane there. Uh, it would have probably won. This way I could fly home with a clear conscience that we gave our best horse the best chance to come through. And uh he might have felt a little pressure from that, too, to kind of carry the team through. And uh, uh, Economopolis played quite well uh, against him, and Appleton played fantastic against him. Appleton played a 976 in that match that he played against Shane there. So uh, 976, that's one mistake. And, uh, I mean, that will that will pretty much get the job done against anyone that you play. And Eddie would have been, uh, I, I mean, uh, you're, you're, the, you're the boss, it would have been a, a huge, I guess it's a double-edged sword uh, when you have Shane playing back-to-back. And if he's playing against one of the best players in the world, uh, the first uh, match, if you win that, huge confidence booster going into the next uh, right. match against Nikos. But if he loses, is there a, 
you know, is there a, a sour taste in his mouth, so to speak, or a, a, a drop in his confidence? So it's a, it's a tough one to call, but, you know, it's, it, it, i tell you who surprised me. Um, I, I, I'll be honest, I, in the back of my mind, I'd be one of those that have been a little concerned, I was a little concerned about the two Justins and their experience. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't on my own, you know, it's, uh, it's not something, it's, it's a reasonable uh, concern to have. Um, and then they went out, and I've said this before, and made me a believer because they went out against Neil's fire and the world, uh, I think number one in the world, or de- definitely the world champion, and then the number one player in Europe. On paper, they're supposed to, they're not supposed to win that match. And mm-hmm. they did, and they did. And that was a, it must have been a huge confidence booster for them. And, um, they, they, the two Justins who have the least experience may have ended up with as good as, if not a better record than the most more experienced players yeah, on the right. team. Yeah. Uh, is, is there a way that uh, you can make sense of that? Well, naturally, um, it's just conjecture. But you know, we're going when we went from day one. Schmidt wins his match, and we go up front two one with Shane playing two of the last matches. We we figure to get a split out of those two at the worst, and then I wanted to start off day two with a bang, and Justin and Justin are our best scotch doubles pairing. Uh, they played together for years. They sincerely, uh, without any ego, they sincerely believe no one can beat them. Now, I'm not saying no one can beat them, but they feel that. And so that gave me a great boost of confidence to put them out there. So we held them to start off day two so we could continue some momentum, and that was going to maybe salve some nerves as well as maybe put the crowd on edge a little bit to maybe they would quiet them down if we took the lead for two. And so when they went out to play, it was not entirely surprising that they performed well because they performed well all year, and they played together for years and years. Neither one of them bothered to worry about position play. Uh, They don't apologize to each other if they don't get it perfect. They just play, and that's how they play, and they're totally confident playing like that. So I think maybe it's a bit of a shock to those that don't know them, but and their styles are very similar too. They play a big loose stroke and uh, they just play. You know, they they don't worry too much. So I think it's a bit of a shock to everyone. I think uh, even the European team was taken aback that uh, they were that casual about going out and playing high level pool in front of a hostile audience. But we we kind of figured that was a great chance there for us to uh, slip in there and get a doubles match. And we really the game plan was we figured to go uh, we needed to go 50-50 on the singles games and we needed to win in the doubles area. And we had a great plan for that in terms of uh, the, the approach that we were going to take with our pairings. And so that was where we needed to make hay, and that's where we didn't. Yeah. Um. During whether this is probably a hypothetical question, and I don't expect a, a, a real good answer, but anywhere along the line here, have you, from the start of the matches in Blackpool to today, have you second-guessed yourself on the picks that you made? Well, no, I, I feel totally confident. I don't, actually, I don't think that anyone would have gone there and did better than the people that we took, even though it wasn't a great performance. But that's not really where we're lacking. And in some cases, I think it sort of bore out uh, the fact that uh, the crowd was kind of even won over 
to the American side a bit just from the way we conducted ourselves throughout the event that they that the crowd actually wanted to see it be very close they were, they were naturally pro-European but they would love to have seen it come down to the last day and the last match or two for sure and uh, it, it, in some ways I don't know that everyone's ready for that, that um, I don't think that they necessarily they haven't played that way, and if it gets under your skin at all, you'll be distracted, which is you know kind of the ultimate goal of, of the European crowd is just not only to have fun, but it also creates a little element of the uh, the sixth man, so to speak, uh, the unspoken guy that's not really on the lineup card, but has a bearing in the outcome, and so it takes a certain special constitution mentally to stay composed and be able to play under that type of pressure against world class players, and then still be able to perform well. And the only way that we're going to get better at it is doing it more often. Right. Um, yeah, now, I'm, I'm getting ready to kind of close up. All, I've got just a couple more questions for you. I know you're a busy man. Um, question that has not been actually said yet, uh, announced or anything like that, but have you had the nod yet from Matchroom to be coach in 2015? No, definitely not. It's uh, It's... You know, here's the thing. There's a uh, one team USA's got to win. You know, and, and and Luke had mentioned that before the beginning of this year that we need to win. We need to win bad, and no matter what, we need to win. So that was what we set out to do. And then now I'm kind of doing a summary of of what all took place this year, how we might do it better, and with no knowledge that I would or would not be the coach again. It, it, but if not, I would at least like to pass on what was learned this year so that uh, whoever would be the coach would have a little bit of a leg up from uh, starting from scratch. And, you know, la- this last year was really the first time that we had most of the year to prepare. And I-, I would say that we definitely need that much time, if not a little bit more, again this year, no matter who the coach is. The the, the bottom line is this, that for the Team USA to be relevant in this thing, we would have to work much, much harder. And we'd have to have players that are willing to work much harder, and but we'd also have to have a budget that would support working much harder. And so for what we accomplished on a shoestring, uh, some of it was even out of my own pocket, It that's just the way it is, you know. And, and until we we get those two things, uh, the, the financial support to really be able to train and the players that are willing to work, it, it's probably going to remain, you know, a very difficult task to beat Europe because they're just great players. Well, you know, you say uh, they have to work much harder. Um, I don't, I don't know how much harder they can work. I think the the talent is the talent, but um, the when you look at it, the, the score actually doesn't reflect how close it maybe was. Like I said, I, I said, and this is what I believe. I watched the whole thing, and I haven't watched it again on tape like you have, and I don't have the insight to a lot of the things that you do. But it was a, a missed ball here and there, and I, I don't think that there were that many. It was closer than the score projects, I guess is all I'm saying. I don't, I don't think it was that cut and dried. It wasn't really 11-5. If Shane had a, what did, where was Shane's record? Seven and one? No, one and five. One and five. If Shane played forty uh, percent, something like that, maybe he he get um, three games 
or 50, 50 60%. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. he gets three games. John Schmidt gets three games. That's four games difference. That's just with John and Shane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of those games were a lot closer than the score made them out to be. You know what I'm saying, Mark? Yes, I do. I, I absolutely do. But uh, also, um, you, you alluded to it earlier, they had the last break. If it would have been closer, it, the score, I think, is actually the real score. I, I think it does reflect exactly where we're at because I've looked at it both ways. And one thing, you know, some people say, oh, you know, races to five, anything can happen. Well, it's not a race to five. It's many races to five. And under that pressure cooker, the people that work the hardest shine through the most, and it's as simple as that. And and you could definitely see it. There was an air of confidence, and and part of it is the home crowd definitely helps that, especially if you're 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 unfamiliar with playing under those circumstances. But uh, they're they're terrifically talented players that devote every molecule of their body. It's not about gaining money for them. That's not it. It's a certain degree of professionalism that is oftentimes missing, you know, and that we just, we've got to get to that point in order to be consistently relevant in that degree of competition. And you've got Niels Fine and you have Darren Appleton that are consummate professionals. And then the other three, not too bad. You know, you got really world-class talent that competes. Uh, all five of them went and played in the World Pool Masters right just two weeks before under those same conditions, same tables. And they were, it was an invitational 16-man tournament. And yet, uh, they're so great, all five of them were invited. Shane won it, and but he was our only player that was invited to that. And so that's one that gives you a leg up, but it also kind of tells you, you know, they're, they're players, you know, tough, tough, tough players to beat. And you don't get many second chances, as you could see. And you're right, there's a lot of those matches that really hung on just one or two shots. Um, and when you, when you look at their performance, it wasn't stellar either. The crowd cost them some shots too. You know, no doubt about it. They felt the pressure. Had we been able to mount just a little bit of a surge there, even going into day four, if Shane wins his first two and say uh, Justin Hall comes out and wins that third one, they're definitely going to feel the heat because they've been, uh, you know, had the home crowd everything going their way, and now we have a little bit of momentum. And we really never did play our good game, uh, and partly it's to their credit. They kept us off balance, but Shane never really got a footing in the whole thing. It was kind of like a bad run of cards there for him. And I'm not making excuses because we're all accountable, but he had to come up with some awful tough shots, jacked up over a ball, and hit, cut a ball thin long ways away across the end rail, and twice that came up where he overcut the ball. Now, you have to really be striking the ball well to overcut it. He missed it on the pro side. It, most everybody hacks it right in directly into the end rail and then walks away. So if he could ever got just a little momentum, a little rhythm, like you said, I think we're dead in it. But I'm just saying in the big picture, do we need to work harder? Yes, we do, to be relevant all the time. You know, And we can't just count on Shane always carrying the ball. Well, yeah, like... Yeah, that, that shows this year. Uh, I love Shane. There's no way you can't pick Shane. I've said this before. There's no way you can't pick Shane. You would absolutely have to be an idiot to not pick Shane for the Moscone Cup team. Uh, but, but you know, the, the Justin's played better than him this year. So, you know, going, yeah. about, pick, going about picking the team, oh, I, I can't say they played better. They had better results than he did. Let, let's say that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, still for uh, next year. 
he would be your first pick. I mean, you, no you can't you can't not pick him because you you you'd just be an idiot. You you cannot pick him, but it doesn't always mean you know his performance is going to be what his performance usually is, and that's that's the same for anybody. I mean, Appleton could have done the same thing. Niels could have done the same thing. You know, depending on the day and everything else, there's a lot of variables in pool, as we know. Um, Shane's playing, you know, but this is something a lot of people don't know, but in the practice room, okay, for the week leading up to it and directly in Blackpool, Shane worked with each individual player like a beast and, and maybe to his own detriment, you know, but he he contributed, he sacrificed, and, uh, and those guys respond to what he has to say because they all have such supreme respect for his talent. And it, it was, it was uh, yeah, he didn't play great, but he was a hell of an addition to this year's team. And uh, so he was doing, he was doing his part in the back room, more, more um, so, more, even more so. He would rack for hours on end for the guys and explain the break and and what needs to take place. And that was one area that we did do. We we beat Europe breaking. I don't know if you saw the stats, but they broke successfully at about a sixty-two or sixty-three percent rate, and we were right at seventy or a little above. So I did, I did not know that. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, well, that was the one thing that we did shine out, at, and then and we talked about it beforehand. Uh, what what needed to take place? We wanted to win our legs. We needed to win the breaking. We needed to win the the safety battles, the kicking battles, et cetera, et cetera. So, but well, I I I, I wouldn't be doing my job correctly. I'm a big supporter of Team USA. I'm a supporter of you. I'm a big supporter of, of you, and, and a big supporter of Metro Sports. Um. Obviously, we had to inform the fans and people listen for certain bits, tidbits of news and things. There was a big, long thread and a lot of controversy over the three guys who were cut and are not showing up. Mm -hmm. um, the, the main question boiled down to, was there a verbal agreement or an agreement between everybody prior to the five being picked that if you were not picked, you will come to Blackpool with us? And be a part of the team. There was, and it was because I said before I go to Luke and ask him if he would fund us to all go for the sake of the sport, will everybody go? And not only was it individually, but it was also in group on multiple occasions. And to a man, no one said they didn't think it was a good idea. And then uh, the first one that alert me to it was when I was getting Oscar's uh, airline reservations, and he said that he had decided to not participate. And that was my first inkling that that was not going to take place. And Luke had kind of gone out on a limb and, and made it so that everybody was going to have uh, the, the funding to come and a hotel room. And then, anyway, so that kind of went to pieces. Uh, whether it was, I still think it's a great idea, but I think it was maybe misinterpreted. So um, I'm, here's my, my one thing, Mark. Uh, my phone is starting to ring in my ear as if it's going to run out of battery, so I probably have about three or four minutes left. Okay, yeah, we, we, I'm just about done. Um, let's just say you get the call tomorrow morning from Metroom and say, Mark, we want you back as captain. Mm -hmm. Will the team change? Mm, well, we, this is a good one. This is a good one, isn't it? Certainly there will be positions up for grabs. I mean, because to me, it, it, that's the only way it works is if it's a competition. It shouldn't just be an award, you know, and I think maybe sometimes in the past it's been viewed that way. So 
So would the would the makeup of the team change? I th- I'd say there's quite a good likelihood that it would. But also the guys that went this year would certainly have a leg up in terms of knowing what to prepare for and what to expect. And so uh, that being said, could it possibly be the same team? It could possibly be the same team also. I, actually, we're doing a review of everything and, and just take a look, a good hard look at it. And, you know, like there's always people that uh, second guess, okay, and and that's fine and that's good because that means they're interested and engaged. So, so love that part of it. But when when criticism is offered, all I ask is is while while I will accept any criticism, would you also validate your criticism by doing something positive for the sport at the same time? You know, I mean that that's all. If you really care, if you really you know, I'm open to criticism, but with the criticism, please do something positive for the sport. Right. Right. Well, the, the, the reason I, I one of the reasons I asked, will the team be the same? Because uh, Mike Harrison had said he thinks the team should stay the same. And the argument, obviously, an argue, a good argument is, hey, these guys all know each other now. They're, now they can be together. They know what's going on, and you can build that team uh, atmosphere even more and solidify things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the downside is, you know. There are, there are players that maybe didn't perform to your liking or standard, or there might be some other reasons, whatever it might be. And then there's other players in the wings who possibly deserve a spot. So there's a case for either way. And yeah. uh, that's, that's basically why I asked if what your thoughts were at this point. If I think it has to be an earned thing, much like the Ryder Cup would be. You know, maybe the captain appoints a couple, and then, you know, based on your performance through the year, not just playing, but also attitude. Um, you you get a chance to earn a slot. I mean, that's the only way anything really works well is if there's competition. Would you be picking the if you were the captain? Would you be picking the team early in the year, or just if you're saying you know maybe earn your position? How far into the year are you willing to go before you pick your final team? Probably have to go to the U.S. Open, I suppose, much like this year. Just because we have so few tournaments, what would you pick them on? You know, regional events or bar table events, or I mean, so, so you're looking at you're looking to pick eight players again, and we no, I, I, no, I don't know that I would. I, I, I'm going to review that and, and see if maybe we can't get some more involved, just to add some more uh, competition to the to the circumstance. So I, I I wouldn't say I would necessarily pick eight again. Okay. Well. Mark, I, I appreciate it. I'm lucky uh, out there in England. Um, uh, hopefully you'll let us know. If, uh, well, I'm sure Matchroom will let everybody know first uh, if you've gotten the nod for this year. And uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. And, you know, I, I think the, the USA team can hold their head up high that they conducted themselves in a, a gentlemanly fashion and uh, acted like sportsmen throughout the throughout the event, even though they wanted a bad result, as, as everybody probably did. Everybody so, had a career highlight, even though we lost, just for the experience of how great Matchroom makes it. And uh, really, I, I couldn't thank Matchroom enough for the opportunity. And also, all of your listeners that are engaged and interested and curious, I uh, certainly appreciate all their support. We got a great deal of support this year. And uh, people like, you know, Durban Cues and and some of the locations that had uh, events for us, like uh, the BCA support us to come to the Billiards Trade Show, and uh, 
certainly San Diego. We got on cue billiards, did a lot for us. Starship billiards in Decatur, Illinois. The guy in Breeze, Illinois, at Big Sticks. <laughs> Tremendous turnouts of people and support and love. And I, I just see the Moscone Cup growing, and I couldn't be more inspired by the outlook for the what what that could do for the sport. Yeah, Metrum do do a fabulous job. That's that's for sure. Uh, Mark, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, if uh, well, we, once we get into next year, we'll start ramping up again and see where we stand, my friend. Okay. Happy holidays, everybody. Yeah, happy Christmas to you too, sir. I'll speak okay. to you soon. Bye bye. Well, that was it, Mark Wilson, the uh, captain of the 2014 USA team for Moscone Cup. Maybe he answered some of the questions that people were wondering about. Um, I think I asked that a lot of the pertinent questions uh, that he kind of running around the the forums and uh, around the business. So, uh, hope you all enjoyed the show. And until next week, this is Mark Kentrell and the Legends and Champions Report. Brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets, and I'll talk to you next week. Oh, I started out believing the universe was space. That all the solid objects were founded in full grace. I started out believing that earthworms could not crawl, that music plays, that donkey brays, dogs have days, horse has nays. And everyone has a ball But it's duct-tape ball Gooey-gooey, stringy-chewy, mushy kind of ball Rap, flap, tap, sap, constantly moving Ever oozing Sticky, stringy, kind of springy